The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We're dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Scrum.org. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Women in Agile podcast and another episode from the Coaching Agile Teams mini-series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and I'm so excited to share a special treat with you today. In this episode of the series, Lisa and I are joined by her mentor, Mike Vizdos. Part of me wants to say, get out your tissues, because there's a couple really wonderful and heartwarming moments in this episode. There's a magic to it and a true sweetness. The lovely interplay between Mike and Lisa as they share aspects of her origin story and how she's evolved over the years and mainly how mentorships played a key role in her evolution is really delightful. Um, This episode really isn't just a walk down memory lane though. Lisa and Mike drop serious wisdom when it comes down to the difference in coaching and mentoring, how to create meaningful connections, and then creating success and value in mentoring relationships in and of itself. It was an honor to be part of this conversation, and I'm I'm really so glad Lisa invited Mike into this mini-series. So snuggle in for this episode. It's the sort of one I'd want to listen to with a cup of warm tea while looking out the window with sun shining in on my face. I really hope you enjoy it. And don't forget, Lisa and I would love to hear from you on what you're learning in the mini-series. So please find us on LinkedIn and let us know what you think. As always, if you want to stay up to date with everything happening on the Coaching Agile Teams mini-series, you can always visit us online at www.womeninagile.org C-A-T. Thanks again for tuning in. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Mike. Hi. Hey, hey. Thank you for being with me today. Yeah, it's a pretty exciting day. Yeah, yeah. this is, um, is going to be a fun episode. Um, one, we have a guest with us. And two, it's Lisa Adkins' mentor. Yes. <laughs> so this is just going to be really magical. And so I want to actually offer the idea of magic as for our check-in today before we have our conversation. And that if, if you were a magical power, what might it be and how might it serve us today as we have a chat about what mentorship is. For me, it would probably be uh, being able to speak and understand any language. Ooh. No matter where I am in the world. And, and really how that would relate to mentorship is, is being able to get not only the, the words, but also the nonverbal communications that are happening behind those two. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I would like to have the magical power of being able to have an invisibility cloak. Mm. Yeah. Just like any time I felt like I wanted to not impact the situation, but still be able to see it. I could put my cloak on and, and just watch. And I'm thinking about that in particular with, because I'm always, I'm always aware that every time I'm working with teams that I'm actually impacting what's happening. So I don't ever get to really see them like they really, really are. So I'd love that, but how will that work for today? Um, well, I mean, I think that people need to know how much I, um, I honor and revere my mentor. Mike Fizdos, and that there's a lot of ways in which my name is so well known that it makes me very visible, but there are times when I want to wrap the invisibility cloak around me because he's actually the center of what we're talking about today. Mm. It's a beautiful no gift, pressure. both of you. <laughs> why'd, you, why'd you say, Mike? I said no pressure there now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about those superheroes that can kind of have a magic around of putting a bubble in a force field Mm -hmm. around things. Um, Because there's one, it can defend off of things that may be trying to harm us. But two, it's it's more of the nesting quality of that force field. 
and holding a container for today's conversation. But as well as um, when I think about mentorship, like I think about being in this little bubble with somebody where it's just about y'all and the things that are happening there and whatever else is going on outside, like you can just kind of let it be away because it's about this relationship here in the moment. Yeah. Um, and that's true for the three of us today on this call. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So thank you both again. That was Lisa, a fun check-in. Yeah, yeah. I like that one. I kind of got a tingly magic <laughs> feeling in my skin. Like there's a little bit of a, a electric response to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa, I'd love for you to just open us up with one, you know, why mentorship is a topic who is Mike? Who is he to you? Why is this important to have as part of the mini series that accompanies the Coaching Agile Team's audiobook? Oh, this is such a, um, an honor to get to do this. So um, I count myself as so incredibly lucky that when I landed at Capital One to take what I thought was going to be a project management job, um, they said... Um, nope, we're doing scrum and you're going to be a scrum master. And I'm like, oh, I was so exhausted at that point. Honestly, we just been through Sarbanes-Oxley. You know, I was big into the PMI and I was just so tired. And I remember thinking, oh God, another project management methodology. Okay, fine. Just bring it on. I was really jaded. And I was so lucky because Capital One at that time had the foresight to say that you couldn't be a scrum master unless you had a mentor. And they had brought in Mike and a handful of other people um, who had done Scrum in particular and other Agile frameworks in multiple other places. Now this was a long time ago in the journey of of the Agile thing, but um, you know, without him for sure, I would not have made the shift from project manager to Agile coach. For sure. There were so many ways I couldn't see myself. And so that's that's the real value of a mentor is someone who can see you and go, okay, you know, okay, stop, 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 stop. Right there. Right there. That's where this thing is happening that, that I really want you to pay attention to. And he did that um, a lot. <laughs> and um, so Mike is the sort of the random mentor that I got assigned. When I was at Capital One, we didn't know each other. And over the years, um, we became friends. When they were moving from San Diego, his wife fell in love with our neighborhood and put a flyer in everyone's mailbox and said, if you're selling your house, call us first. And so as a consequence, he lives four doors away (laughs) from me right now. Yeah. So I'm not saying that's going to happen for everyone with their mentor. That's <laughs> special um, that our relationship has lasted this long and turned into, you know, our, you know, our families being friends and neighbors. Um, and so, and Mike today does a lot of mentoring and even has a mentoring program. He was one of the first certified scrum trainers. I mean, he's, this guy knows what he's talking about. That's great. How does that feel, Mike, to hear that? It's it's a, a good reminder that that we all, Lisa included, has a um, a big responsibility to make sure that we're continuously helping others move forward. And and one of the one of the things that Lisa really has taught me is what is an agile coach, because those skills are very different than the skills that I bring to the table, which is important. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk about, you talked about that as we were getting ready to to record today, Mike, around the difference in mentorship and coaching. And so in sort of from your words, how do you describe that? For me, it's a mentor is going to bring experience to the table and have some very possibly strong opinions. Mm-hmm. Whereas a coach typically will not bring those opinions to bear but the coach like Lisa will help bring that out of the coachee. Yep. Yep. And that's why both mentoring and professional coaching are two skill sets underneath the umbrella of agile coaching. 
Because both are needed, but not at the same time necessarily and not in the same dose. It just sort of depends on what's coming going on. And some people, like Mike, have said, man, mentorship is where I sing. I mean, that's where I'm going to really focus my attention and my skill. Yeah. What, how do you, how might one know if they're more, I'll call it predisposed to a mentorship stance versus a coaching stance? What might you look for within I guess on the mentoring side, it's uh, somebody who's been slapped around a lot with life and learned a lot of tough lessons along the way that as a mentor, you can share and not try to steer somebody toward that same result, but to share those experiences of, okay, I've been there, done that. Uh, let's try not to do that again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would say probably most people don't necessarily know what they're predisposed to because the professional coaching skill set is so new mm-hmm. that until someone has experienced it, and then like we had this experience all the time when I was teaching Agile coaches in the Agile Coaching Institute curriculum, is that when people experience professional coaching, they were like, oh, like this is really different. You mean I can still provide value and not have to be the expert all the time? That's really useful. Um, And so, like, I think once people can experience what the professional coaching skill set is, then they can find out which, if they want to sort of specialize in one. And what I do is choose not to specialize. I choose to bring both to every occasion. Um, And at the same time, um, well, you know, I guess I have specialized. I guess I have, actually. Mike's, Mike's like, yeah. <laughs> I was sitting here wondering. I'm not entirely sure if I completely agree with her. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Because because I, I, I guess I found out for myself that beneath all of that skill set stuff is my firm belief that for whatever reason, I'm here on this planet to unleash everyone into their potential, wherever that goes. And... Um, so I guess for that reason, professional coaching become, becomes the place I start from. I might not always stay there, but I start from that. Yeah. And what about you, Mike? Where do you start from? I would say the majority of my time is, is really uh, on the mentoring side. And I have to make an effort to get into the coaching stance mm-hmm. because that is not my natural world, as you know. Yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish the listeners could see the video of this because there was just a really lovely moment between the two of you. Yes, I know. A a little bit of tilt of the head, almost a roll of the eyes. What just happened there? There was a memory or set of memories that just passed between the two of Mm. you, I think. Well, I don't... You know, it's really hard for me as a mentee to think about what my mentor was doing when my mentor had such an impact on me. So I'll just tell you what the impact is, and then Mike can tell you what he was up to. The um, What I remember the most in the very early days, and this is like, Mike, this is like 14 years ago. Is that right? Yeah, maybe even longer. Jeez Louise. So <laughs> this was a while ago when Mike was my mentor and I was learning how to be a scrum master. And we called the Magical Coaches at Capital One because Capital One always just started with that, you know, role name. And um, and it was, <laughs> should I tell them about what happened the first time you did the whiteboard talk? Oh, to- sure. <laughs> I'm like yes. <laughs> so I was I was off on a different story, but I think you need this story first. So, okay, so the, the manager who brought me in says, Lisa, we're going to do Scrum. You're going to be the Scrum Master. And I'm like, you remember, I'm so jaded. I'm like, yeah, whatever, bring it on. And so, and then I get introduced to Mike. Mike's going to be your mentor. Okay, so we're in this little huddle room kind of thing, and Mike is drawing the Scrum framework on a whiteboard. And I'm sitting there very patiently listening to this. It didn't take very long. I mean, he's the inspiration for me being able to do it in 10 minutes, right? So, you know, eight, 10 minutes later, he's got the whole thing laid out and I laughed and I'm like, 
Yeah. Um, so if all the stars align and everything works out great, I can see this thing working. Otherwise, this, this, is, not, this is not the real world. And zero pushback from Mike. Absolutely zero pushback. What were you thinking then? Because we've never actually talked about this. Do you remember this time? Or maybe... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, you, oh, you do? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and and, and it's, a, it's a conversation that I still have today with people. Mm-hmm. It's There's no possible way that this could work in our world, whatever that change is, whether it's you know stopping drinking, losing weight, using this Agile or Scrum stuff. It's, change is hard. Mm-hmm. And that's where, as a great coach, you can have somebody guide you through that change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as it was, Mike just sat there and he's like, okay, let's see. I mean, he was so nonchalant about everything. You know, I would come to him with something I thought my, like my hair would be on fire. I'd be so upset about it. And he'd be like, let's find out. Yeah. Okay, there's, let's see. I make up that there's such sort of a duality for the Lisa of then. Mm-hmm. And I, was it, Mike, were you kind of a calming influence on her? What was the, because I, I just think of like what I imagine Lisa, the recovering project manager to have been like early on. And, I, and I've used this description in public before too. Lisa, early on, ice queen project manager. Oh, I've never heard you say that. Really? You say that to other people? Oh, I that's have. awesome. Well, okay. Fair enough. I mean, I, I think he's right. And that it is the case, right? It's, it's uh, the Lisa of then versus the Lisa of now is two very, very different people. So like you were the catalyst that perhaps started the great thawing Because I think of, right, Lisa, the Lisa I know, right, leads with such compassion and warmth and Mm -hmm. just all of these amazing qualities, like ice queen or ice princess of project Mm -hmm. management, like is not at all what I would have imagined. So like you initiated the great thawing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I did that, though. Really, I think she did that on her own. Ah. I, I think actually um, Scrum did it. And the way that Capital One was so smart to get those early mentors in did it. Because they, we had really early successes. And they were, my God, like the very first team that Mike was my mentor for, like in 30 days. So we were doing 30-day sprints then. That was like the big thing 14 <laughs> years ago, 30-day sprints. And that was freaking fast. I mean, it really was. And we, and so the first team that I was the scrum master of um, was stood up because the woman who understood the business rules for this whole part of the business announced she was going to graduate school and no one else knew her business job. No one. And so they're like, well, we have to set up all these knowledge management transfer, you know, program, you know, meetings, and it's going to be really hard. And Mike's like, no, 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 no. Let's just put everyone in a scrum team. Let's just put everyone in a scrum team. You want to outsource these transactions to this vendor anyway. So let's just do that work and do it with her and with the team all in real time. And so my first experience was within the 30 days, the team started up, delivered real software that went into production and started earning the company money because the company could now outsource this whole bank of transactions. And the knowledge got transferred from one head into 12 without any special knowledge transfer learning sessions. Talk about business resiliency. Yeah. I mean, so that was my first experience with Scrum. And so because I could see so clearly how, oh my God, these people actually don't need me to tell them what to do every day. Oh, look at what happens when we put the business people and the technology people together. That's kind of magical. You know, like I saw all the benefits of it so early on. And I think that that was like um, the real smart move. Yeah. And one of the advantages I think we had was we had leadership that was in total support and backed away and let us just do. And as you know, Lisa, trying to shove this Mm-hmm. down somebody's throat versus somebody pulling and saying, you know, let's try this and having the fire cover from above makes a huge difference. Yep. Yeah. And so creating right leadership created the space where scrum could thrive. 
what was it about the environment the two of you created that allowed mentorship to thrive? I don't think that was the, the goal at the beginning. No, he was just there to teach me scrum. Yeah, and I, I mean, and, really. Right, so, but but something you all did, you t- you did something created and emerged between the two of you that resulted in this intimate, long-lasting relationship. Mm-hmm. Was it sort of just coincidental that it happened, or was was there a moment where it became more intentional and deliberate? You know, as as close as Mike and I are, we don't get together to chit chat that often. Mm-hmm. So I think that there is something in our relationship that has always been intentional, although we might not be in in sort of like consciously in conscious control of it. Um, yeah, that's really interesting to think about, right? And maybe it's because like Mike was the first person who who sort of told me told it to me straight. You know, because it's for sure that I spent 14 years prior to encountering Mike controlling people and things. Or thinking that I did. And um, and without Mike to be there in real time to catch me doing it, I wouldn't have shifted. And just the way he did it was so phenomenal. Um, I didn't really like him all the time, honestly. I thought he was kind of a pain in the ass in the beginning because he, he just kept at me, but he would do it in this way that was so non-confrontational. And that's, I think that's more that that's Mike's style and personality than anything else. And it really worked for me because if he had been confrontational, you know, fiery and fiery, we would have just been going around and around and around, but he wasn't, he was like water, like nothing bothered him. And, and that does not work with everyone. I imagine, I imagine that's there is, so. There's definitely places where I've tried that and have gotten shown the door over the mm-hmm. years. And mm-hmm. so Mike, I'm making up that you're choosing how you show up in that role of mentor to get the, what it is you're looking out of that mentee and in, in, yeah. in the way those relationships work. Talk to us about that, those discerning qualities and how you navigate that. Well, with Lisa, it was, I saw a lot of the control from her side uh, as things that I went through Mm. uh, getting to where like I was during that time. And it was actually fun for me to do that because every time I was shutting up, it was really, really hard for me to actually shut up and and see where things go. Uh, And it was also a reminder for me to shut up and let things happen. So it was also me letting go of stuff during that time too, which is really hard. Yeah. And as the mentee, I had no clue that was going on for him. Right. Yeah. But there's a parallel process, you know. Yeah. So Mike, you got to sort of witness her evolution from the beginning. And you were there with her around this, oh, what? I'm going to write a book. Who am I to write a book? All the way to now, right? It's 10 years since Coaching Agile Teams has been published, the audio book. Mm-hmm is is arriving um what do you remember about the pivotal moments in her journey um that that are important for for our listeners to kind of hear because one of the things lisa and i wanted to create in this podcast series is like getting to know the real lisa and so mm-hmm. get, hearing it from your words i think will just be such a gift for everyone some of the context for this was i had just finished releasing a book in 2005. So that process of pretty much every agile consultant out there says, I'm writing a book, I'm working on a book. A very small percentage actually finish and publish a real book at the end. Uh, In fact, most publishers will call in other authors to finish the work of other authors who've started. And when Lisa had come to me and said, you know, I wanna write a book, I was like, okay, uh, game on. And we had talked a little bit about what was going to happen. And, and it was not an overnight unload the brain. Lisa, how long did it take you to write that book? One year to a day. 
And you were there on the day. Yep. So the day you actually hit send, I remember that email. Yep. And there, there was a bottle of, uh, of uh, champagne, I think, involved with there that. There was, one, and there was Kentucky Fried Chicken, because I didn't have time to make dinner for anyone that day. <laughs> <laughs> it was Mike and, Mike and his family and my parents and my family, and we were around my kitchen table um, on the day I sent the book in to the publisher. We hit send at the same time. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm-hmm. What were some of the hardest moments and the most joyous moments the two of you remember about your relationship and mentorship through that journey? You know, there's something I remember that I'm not sure Mike remembers at all that um, impacted me beyond the scope of mentoring in Agile. Um, And Mike had been a certified scrum trainer and, and his own consultant you know, doing his own thing with various companies for a while. And I had never worked outside of a company. Yes, I had been a contractor or consultant hired in from one company and then coming into another one, but I had never not had a nine-to-five job of some sort. And it's not like this happened in one conversation. Maybe there were three or four, but I remember one time we're standing in your front yard, Mike, And you had just flown back in from somewhere. You were teaching some class somewhere. And it was at the time that I had agreed to write the Coaching Agile Teams book, but I hadn't started yet. I agreed in November, and this is like early the next year, and I hadn't really started yet. And I'm realizing, you know, I can't really write this book and have a nine-to-five job, but I really don't know how to make the break and also take care of my family financially and stability-wise and all that. And... um, I think Mike said something like, you can't afford to keep your nine to five job. And I'm like, yeah, but how, I, I couldn't even conceive of how someone could make their own work life at that time. It just didn't even compute. But I remember walking away, I don't know why I didn't have my car. So I must have not been coming or going from somewhere. Um, all I walked, four houses. Yeah, all four houses. So I walked back down to my cul-de-sac, you know, because we're at the end of the cul-de-sac and he's at the top. And, um... And I remember thinking that whole time, you know, Mike's done it. Other people have done it. I guess at some point I could do it. And so he was a, an example that I could follow. And so that was one of the several conversations and probably one of the many other things that happened in my life around that time that eventually resulted in me believing, yes, I can be a certified scrum trainer and have my own business. Oh, Yes, I can write a book and have a, yes, I can found Agile Coaching Institute. Yes, I can be my own boss. And like to this day, I cannot, I cannot imagine now in 2020 having a nine to five job. It just doesn't feel like it would be possible for me to do that. And so it's like a really huge shift. And he was the example for it. Did you know that? Um, I think you had mentioned that once before too, and and um, just hearing that again is, is a good reminder for uh, all of us to to remember that you know whether you have a nine to five job 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 or you know you're out on your own doing this today, uh, you got to look out, make sure for you and your family's best interest. Yep, for sure, for sure. Well, and nothing and- is forever. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes, exactly. I mean, like, I'm ready to, if I have to get a job job, I'll do a job. And in today's age, nine to fives are not for forever either. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right. I remember Mike sitting, this is probably another one of those conversations related to that. I remember him sitting in that big chair and a half that we had in the corner then of the living room. And this was at the time the Coach Angel Teams book was a, um, it was the summer where I was finishing writing it and my husband hated his job. And he was mm-hmm. thinking about quitting his job. And Mike looked at us. It's one of the few times that Mike just said something that was like a mic drop. Oh, no pun intended. Mic drop moment. <laughs> um, and that he was so strong about. And he looked at the two of us and he said to John, he said, you can't afford to work because what is going to happen with this book is going to take over your lives. And for that to happen, you're going to need to, to be ground crew, essentially. Which worked out great for my husband because he was so happy to be ground crew. He, he became a father to my eight-year-old when he was 55 years old. And so for him, it was a second life to be able to 
be the primary parent for this daughter who at that time was going into middle school, you know, 10, 11 years old. So, but that, but I remember Mike, I just, I can, I was just floored when he said, you can't afford to work. That, that there's a, a theme in all the stories, Lisa, that I've heard you talk about with Mike. And it's like radical candor and truth telling and like this mirror of like infinite reflective properties, mm. putting it back in your face in a way that lets you see and hear things mm-hmm. that you hadn't been able to for some reason. Yeah, well, and just even opening up new worlds that I didn't think were at all possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because if you go back to the first time we met and where we are today, two totally different people. Hey, everyone. Natalie Warner here, the President and Executive Director of Women in Agile Org. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. We're thrilled to have this as a platform to showcase the wisdom of our community. We'd love to get your help to amplify the reach of the series by asking you to go over to iTunes in order to rate and review us. After you're done, take a screenshot of your rating and review. Then post a screenshot to Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn and tag hashtag Women in Agile. If you do this, we'll not only reshare your post, but also add you to a monthly drawing to receive a Women in Agile goodie bag filled with WIA stickers and other treats. Thanks for listening. Mike, do you have any stories you want to share before we spend a little bit of time just talking about like mentorship as a concept and how to find one and how to be a good one and all of those things? But I want to give you an opportunity to no, echoing the, the, I guess the sides of uh, my side of the story from when when Lisa was talking about, you know, her 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 remembering, uh, they all play out pretty pretty similar. And I think one of the one of the things whenever I was uh, strongly dropping some hints was probably because I had felt pain there mm. uh, somewhere else too, which mm. is important. Right, I'm I'm just another human being, just as messed up as everybody else. Right, and we've got to look at uh, the relationships that we have, either as friends, mentors, coaches, uh, with empathy throughout that. Because there's been times when she's called me out. Really, it's been necessary. <laughs> yep. Yep. Hmm. I don't know about those times. <laughs> Oh, there's, there's a symbiotic nature, I think, Mike, that you're pointing to around being a mentor Mm -hmm. and that, right. Sometimes the mentee is giving you things back that you need and Mm -hmm. y'all just happen to get paired with each other. Um, You're also, you're hinting here on the idea that, right, you know, mentors are human too. Because I think it's easy, you know, someone that like, oh, you know, my mentor and I have them on this pedestal and they do everything perfectly and all of this. But no, we're we're really just two humans in this relationship. And so what do you look for when working with others to make sure that there is that flow and that there it's there's a bi-directional quality? to the relationship and that it's not just kind of one direction from you as mentor to that other person. Uh, being really clear on boundaries is important. Mm. And, and if there's, if it feels very one-sided uh, calling that out, right. And, and working as both mentor and mentee to try to fix that together. And sometimes bringing in maybe a third-party coach to help do that. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking about you know designing the alliance and how important that is in a relationship like this. The um, and so y'all y'all you did get matched with each other. It wasn't like Lisa came to you and said, "Hey, I'm looking for a mentor." Yeah. So from from the wisdom of both of you over the years and having been mentored and mentoring others this matchmaking that goes along in this either I want to be a mentor for someone or I'm looking to be mentored. What is the art of that pairing? 
I think one of the key things is listening and knowing when to say no and step away. Because I've probably stepped away for more of the requests for mentoring than I have uh, either being mentored or either and having other people mentor me. Yeah. And I think that's hard because if someone asked me, your inclination is, well, you you don't want to hurt their feelings and tell them no. So how does one cultivate their discernment of when to say yes and when to say no? Because I think this is a really important like educational piece for Mm -hmm. everyone right now, because I'm sort of looking in some ways, there's almost like three generations of agilists in this conversation right now. Yeah. And I, right. And I have a responsibility to the next generation and the generation after that. And so this is something we all need to learn at some point. Mm -hmm. So what does, how do both of you make those discerning decisions on when to, and not to mentor someone? When I have had this situation where I've worked inside of um, an organization and I've been there to help increase the agile capacity, agile fluency in general, I actually love the random mentee. I really do. I love just the random person. Some of them work really great, some not so much, but you know, it's, um, that's, that's because it's inside of that organizational container and context. Um, and and I and in my one-on-one practice, I don't really have that many one-on-one clients because I tend to do more work with groups and especially now leadership teams have my focus. Um, but because I don't have that many one-on-one slots, I'm super, super choosy and, and not necessarily that someone has to be or do a certain thing but that we have to really make sure the chemistry is right between us so that neither one of us are wasting each other's time. And, um, and sometimes even though like I might be able to be the perfect coach and mentor for someone, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't click, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and is that, cause Mike, you're nodding your head. Is that just an essence sort of thing that you feel and it either matches up or it doesn't? that idea of it just kind of clicks or is it something you can kind of put more words to? Sometimes it takes multiple conversations because, okay. you know, there've been a couple of people that I've, I've worked with over the years that I've basically written off on conversation one and then came back to after and go, woof, woof, glad I didn't. Cause I've yeah. learned a lot from that relationship too. Yeah. He's constantly introducing me to people he's mentored. Like there's this one woman in Costa Rica and I was going down there to do a vacation and then talk at a conference. And Oh, actually, the reason I was talking at the conference is because he said, oh, you're going to Costa Rica on vacation. You need to meet this woman. And before you knew it, a conference got created. And I, to- I had totally forgotten that. Really? Right, around, right around you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, the, so like, it's so wonderful for me to go meet his mentees in other places. That's happened a couple of times. Yeah. And it's just really cool because it's almost like we have, uh, well, we do. We have a we have a, a a figure in common, not really a father figure, but but some some very warm connection like that. Yeah. And so when I meet those people, we almost immediately have a connection because we both had very intense interactions with Mike. Yeah. Beyond that sort of click, and maybe knowing that it might take a couple conversations for things to really come into focus as to whether or not the relationship's going to work or not. Any other advice to people that are sort of holding that role of mentor? Be open to a lot of conversations. Define I, a lot. So I am constantly welcoming people to have free 15-minute conversations with me, half-hour conversations. When people have the courage to actually do that, that's, that's a huge qualifier because most people won't do that. Mm. When, when they actually pick up the phone or you know, hop on Zoom today and have a conversation, uh, that's usually the, the first step of, uh, of a good qualification, really, of this, is this going to work or not? And then it's, if I'm not the right person, who, who are the right people to help? And, and I have a very strong network of people 
that I work with around the world that I can recommend and do recommend almost on a daily basis, really. Yeah. There's a little pay it forward that I think goes into that. It, it makes it, I imagine, a lot, a lot easier forward. around the, the, that holding of boundaries and telling people no, is that yeah. I might not be the right person for you, but here are others that might be the right one for you. Mm-hmm. So a lot of pay it forward is what I heard you yeah. say. Yeah. And to the point you made earlier about, um, Leslie, about people putting mentors up on pedestals, um, one of the things I would really want to see mentees do more often is interview their mentors. Mm-hmm. Like, like ask them, you know, draw, you know, draw out for me on a piece of paper what were your major learning points and who did you learn from? Because I think it's actually important. We've already pointed to the fact that there's sort of a lineage here from um, Ken Schwaber in the early days of Scrum directly to Mike, directly to me, directly to you, Leslie. And so there is something important about the message not getting um, lost or too diffuse. Yeah. And the death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Yeah. So I it's, have, it's the, tele, I really it's the telephone game, right? Exactly. Losing the real intent of the message. Yeah. So I really want to know who my mentor has been mentored by. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I think, Mike, to a point you made earlier, um, some of the richness in being able to mentor well is not just because I got to jump on a trampoline of rose petals and on my agile journey. It's, no, there were maybe sticks and rocks and holes in the trampoline that I had to navigate or got stuck within on that Mm -hmm. journey. So being able to tell those stories as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Very important. And I think also important not to overwhelm your mentee with your own story. So like one of the things I appreciate about Mike is that he does not tell a story for his own enjoyment. If he's telling me a story, I trust that he knows exactly why he's doing it and that it's for my benefit. Mm -hmm. And that's not true of other people. Other people don't have that discernment and self-management yes. capability like he does. And so that's something I would look for in a mentor. It's like, yeah. how much can that person be for me? I might be wildly entertained by all of their stories. And I might even spend a lot of time doing that because it's, it's fun. And, you know, like this person's sort of a rock star in the agile world. And da, 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 da. But what kind of value am I actually getting from it would be a place I'd really want people to um, be clear about for themselves. Yeah. That, I think that's really important. And you know, some, like you're supposed to hear something when it kind of makes you uncomfortable. I'm having one of those uncomfortable moments. Perhaps I just tell some stories just for the sake of telling them. <laughs> um, so if I, I imagine that if I'm feeling this way, there's other people that needed to just hear that as well. So I'm going to just give it a moment to sink in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, the other thing that you're kind of pointing to now, Lisa, is like, oh, you know you want a mentor, be be sure to interview them and the questions to ask them. But sometimes we don't even know we need a mentor. So what might we be looking for within ourselves to be like, hmm, now might be the time to seek someone? You know, there there was a... um a part of the Coaching Agile Teams book, when I read it for the audio book, I was shocked at how strong, how strongly worded it was. And I still stand by it today. And it's specifically in that journey from project manager to scrum master or agile coach. I don't care who you are. If you have become from that strong discipline, you need a mentor. I, I think that that's like hands down. That's one place where I can say unequivocally, yeah, maybe there's like maybe 1% of the project managers out there who don't, who don't need a mentor to really make this shift into Agile. But the vast majority of them, I would really encourage them to get a mentor. Yeah. Because you can't see yourself. You mm-hmm. just can't. Yeah. What else, Absolutely. Mike, would you tell people what would be signals for getting a mentor? If you keep making the same mistake over and over and over and over again, it might be a good shot to either talk as a mentor and and really knowing the difference. And Lisa, you talk a lot about this and, and still will about the difference between the mentor and, and the coach. Mm-hmm. And knowing when it's appropriate to have both kind of relationships. 
Yeah. Why, why might do you think that's an example of making that same mistake over and over and over again is a time to lean onto a mentor versus a coach? Cause I think that's what I heard you sort of alluding to. For, for me, when I'm, when I'm making that same mistake over and over and over again, my mentors will uh, basically slap me upside the head and say, you know, here, this is, this is what you need to do. Right. Based on experiences that, that I've had uh, just to, just to snap out of it a lot of times mm -hmm. that coaching would not get me. It sounds again, it's a little know thyself mm -hmm. and what's going to serve you mm -hmm. as well. Lisa, anything to add on to that? No, not a thing. Okay. So Mike, you have also really made a business out of what it means to provide mentorship in the agile space, right? You work with Ron Jeffries and others on really creating opportunities and access to mentorship from people that have really, really been doing this. What, what has that journey been like for you? And like, just want to give you a moment to kind of just share about that. Uh, for, for me, it's, you know, I, I, on the business side, it's and it's very important to to realize there's the business side and there's the personal side of mentorship. Hmm. Uh, you know, if you're going to be intentional about making it a business, you have to run it as a business, and, and not apologize for that, because there there are definitely different ways to uh, mentor people as a business versus mentor people personally. And a lot of it's just holding the space for the mentee to come in and out when, when, and when they're available and ready, I think is huge. Yeah. What, what would you say to a listener that has it within them to become a mentor and is afraid to make a call? Like, is that something they need a mentor for <laughs> a mentor well, on becoming a mentor? Well, no, no. I really, I'm, I'm saying flip it around to, to, if you're looking to mentor someone and you know, maybe it's start that conversation with the mentee. Mm. I love that. I love that. What else do we want to share before we wrap up today? This has just been super fun for me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, I just, I, Mike, you asked at the beginning, we're only recording audio, right? And I said, yes, <laughs> of course. I would look different today if we were recording video. But I do wish there would have been a video recording, just the, the sweet moments mm. of the expressions on the two of your faces was just, it was lovely to get to see those. So thank you both for allowing me to be here in this conversation with the two of you. I'm incredibly grateful. And um, I, I hope that our listeners find something inspiring in this on reaching out to former mentors that they've had, right? Because what you two mm -hmm. proved to us is that something that could start by a random pairing in a corporation 14 years ago leads itself to the opportunity for a long lasting connection. Mm -hmm. yeah, and it's I, just lovely. Yeah. And I would say if someone has impacted you, write them an email and just tell them how, because, mm -hmm. um, in the work that we do agile coaching in general, um, we oftentimes have a tremendous impact on people, but we don't get to see it. It might happen a couple years down the road. It might happen when they go off to a different company or something. So um, if people have impacted you, tell them. Yeah. Final thoughts, Mike? Nope. 100% in agreement with Lisa, what Lisa just said. Awesome. We, tell, we like to close with gratitudes and appreciations. What might you be grateful for appreciating either about this conversation today or something that's going on in your life right now? It was good to go back and reflect on some of the things that Lisa and I have been through over the years and know that, you know, I'm grateful for the relationship we still have going forward. Yeah. It's super sweet. You know, it really is. Um, We've watched each other's kids grow up. 
and uh, and Mike and his wife have been to our house for like some of the biggest events in our lives. And so um, I'm just really glad we get this chance to sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> show the rest of the world. <laughs> right. Surprise. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really sweet, Mike. I'm so glad you said yes. So I'm really grateful that you said yes. And we're having this conversation. Yep. And, and I hope the, these, this whole series does help people uh, make some kind of step forward. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I, yeah, let's say you, I, I was just going to say, I think that's, that is the thing, Mike, that I'm carrying out of so many of these conversations that Lisa and I have been, been having is the opportunity for self inquiry and invitation on looking at yourself, what is possible what you see in others and just opening up a new opportunity for dialogue back to so many of the good fundamentals. And it brings me back, Lisa, to this, your idea of I didn't need to write a second edition of the book because all of this is just still true. And when people ask me about like, oh, Leslie, what do you see in terms of the future of Agile? And I was like, I want to bring like make empiricism new again. Right. Like I want empiricism back. (laughs) Yeah. It's like I want to go back to the fundamentals and the basics and and be a good student of what that means. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is important now in so many ways, more than ever, given sort of the time we live in. I'm with you. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for this conversation today. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Coaching Agile Team's mini-series. The Women in Agile podcast team is honored to be the home for this special content. If you enjoyed the show, we ask you to please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your other preferred podcast platform. That will help us achieve our mission of amplifying the voices of women in our Agile community. As always, a huge thank you to our Women in Agile podcast sponsor, Scrum.org. And if you're interested in finding out more about the initiatives from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization, we invite you to visit www.womeninagile.org. Thanks again for tuning in.